Good morning all. It's good to see you all here on this lovely day. Carol came in and said, isn't it good to see no rain? And I said, yes, I'm looking forward to seeing it tomorrow. Okay, Dave, that's not clicking over for me. Can you just click to the next slide, please? Thanks, mate. No, not, just go back, just blank. Have I? Good, thank you. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessings of gathering us here this morning to hear your word. We thank you that you are a gracious and merciful God. Help us to understand your mercy as we look at the book of Jonah. Help us to know the depths that you go to, the lengths that you will take to see people know who you are and to live for your sake and glory and change our hearts and minds to desire that in every aspect of our lives. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. The older I get, the more I appreciate quiet. Having four children makes it me appreciate it all the more. But when I was younger, I liked lots of noise. In fact, whenever my parents would leave the house... I would run around and turn on every single appliance that would make noise. I'd turn the stereo up to 11, for those who get that reference. Then I would go and turn the TV on. Then I would play my computer as loud as I could. Comprehension? Who, what was that? Who cared? It didn't matter that I couldn't hear the TV over the stereo whilst playing my computer. I just wanted the appliances on. Why? Because I could. With such a cacophony of sound, I could tune out the world. And it was great. But as I've gotten older, I don't like noise anymore. I tend to find noise oppressive. I don't like loud sounds I can't stand people yelling or screaming at me and I can't think of anything worse in life than attending a rock concert. So I try and find ways to block out noise. As I walk around outside, I do so with my phone and my earphones and they act as a wall against people. I create spaces free of other people. Well, to my mind anyway. Now, this is not necessarily a wrong thing to do. Making space for yourself in the world isn't wrong. It's a helpful and healthy thing to do. But this type of noise cancelling that I'm involved in, it doesn't exactly act as a filter very well. It tends to block out everyone and everything indiscriminately. In my desire to filter out noise... Sometimes I can filter out the wrong noise, the wrong words, and miss something that I need to know. And when you look at my youthful noise-making or at my trying to block out noise in my older age, you see a common pattern. They are both inclinations to block out people. Neither of them were very sophisticated, both were poor filters, but both were attempts at trying to do exactly the same thing, to construct the world of my desires. 
a place where people won't invade my space. Now, these impulses to block out other people, either through creating a wall of noise or creating a wall of silence, these tactics we use against people, we can also employ them against God. And I'm using noise as an analogy here. The noise is the activity of life, or the silence is just apathy we might have towards others. And as Christians, we can employ either activity or apathy to silence God. Now, in the chapter we have before us, we have two groups of men who have done just that. Either through activity or apathy, they silence God. Jonah represents one group who tries to stonewall God by blocking out what he has to say. The sailors are the other group who in frantic activity are ignoring what God has to say to them. And both groups, through their ignorance, end up in trouble because they do not want to listen to what God has to say to them. Now today we're going to look at how silencing God brings a descent into death. Both groups of men end up heading towards death because they want to make God silent in their lives. And as we shall see, we'll see how God acts in the face of this deliberate disobedience and ignorance. Now, as we said, we're starting a new series. We're looking at the book of Jonah and we focus, and it focuses on what Jonah, at just one point in Jonah's life. God, in the end, says very little to Jonah in this book. We are just given the barest of messages. Though the words God speaks to Jonah are few, the themes of the book are massive. There is a reason why preachers like to preach from the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah raises issues that have to do with God's sovereignty, salvation, repentance, judgment, Jew-Gentile relationships. They all flow from this amazing little book. And over the next four weeks, we'll consider the great themes that Jonah raises. But first, who is Jonah? We read uh, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity. And we read about Jonah, he's a prophet in the Norman kingdom of Israel and we read about him in 2 Kings 14. I'm just going to read just a few verses from 2 Kings 14. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Josiah, Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and he reigned 41 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amity, the prophet from Gath, Hepher. The Jonah of two kings was probably the same Jonah of the book we see here in, uh, in, the, in, the, in the prophecy. Jonah had prophesied some good things about Israel and he said Israel would restore its borders and God fulfilled those words even through sinful kings. But we have, the book we have before us doesn't refer to those prophecies. Instead here, God sends Jonah to prophesy to Nineveh, a Gentile city. And I've got a little image here. 
Nineveh is that red circle and Israel's just, you can see the blue on, it would be on your right, uh, is just the blue in the halfway screen. Israel is just a little slither of a nation right on the coast. And you can see almost that Assyria in the green spans almost the entire Middle East there. And Nineveh is that little city in red circle. Nineveh was the capital of this great kingdom of Assyria. Assyria was the United States of the Middle East at the time. It had risen to prominence before the time of Jonah. But the time of Jonah prophesied it was in decline. It had risen to power and wealth under a king in around 883 BC and and it continued to reign under his successor. But under his successors, this great king's great reign, the empire starts to decline. And it's his son, so the third generation, they're all grasping for power, they're struggling and it weakens the kingdom. And we do not have much information on the kingdom of Assyria at the time that Jonah prophesied. Though the kingdom didn't break up, it certainly wasn't the same it had been. It had broken down into really a series of provinces, each playing lip service to the king. And it would be around another 100 years before Assyria would get its act together and rise in prominence and destroy the northern kingdom of Israel in 745 BC. This is the city, Nineveh, in this province of of a nation that's in decline but is ruling and wrestling with each other. God sends Jonah to this little city to speak to them. And we see that the God who speaks issues a command to Jonah. And he says to Jonah, Arise, go to Nineveh, and declare to it that its wickedness has come up before me. Another way you could say this is, he says to Jonah, Up and go. God commands Jonah to get up and go to Nineveh. It is a wicked city full of depravity against its neighbours, and God sends Jonah to deliver his message of judgement over the city. Now, for a moment, I want you to put yourself in the place of Jonah. Here is a mortal enemy of Israel. They are a little weakened. They have treated Israel quite badly in the past. So Jonah, as a prophet of the God of Israel, you would think he'd be like, great, God is about to kick the stuffing out of an enemy. You'd think he'd rush off to tell them the great news. Well, the great news in his view, not such great news for the city of Nineveh, but great news from Jonah's perspective. So Jonah should go, right? Instead of listening to God, Jonah disobeys. Instead of going up to Nineveh, we are told he goes down to Joppa, which is on the coast. We're not told why he doesn't want to obey yet. We won't be told until week four. Hint, hint, keep coming, no spoilers, but if you want to read, read ahead and you'll find out for yourself. What we are told in this chapter is that Jonah finds a ship bound for Tarshish, which is the opposite direction. It's towards the end, at the very tip 
of the Mediterranean as it hits the Atlantic or around that area. Jonah heads for the furthest point away from Nineveh. He can go. What is Jonah attempting to do? He is attempting to silence God through his disobedience. He wants God to destroy the Ninevites, full stop. No mercy, no love, just kick the stuffing out of them. Jonah never addresses God throughout this chapter. Even when the sailors tell Jonah to call on God in verse 6, he still doesn't do it. For whatever reason, Jonah thinks that he can silence God through stonewalling him. And so Jonah begins his downward spiral away from God throughout the chapter. And this is a big theme of the next two chapters. Jonah's movement firstly away from and then back towards God. Jonah's movement away from Nineveh is synonymous with his movement away from God. And just this chapter tracks Jonah's movement downward. Jonah goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the belly of the ship. He goes down into the sea. And then finally he goes down into the belly of the fish. Each of these downward motions is symbolic of Jonah moving further away from God. By not listening to God, Jonah is disobeying God and really doesn't want, he just wants God out of his life. God, go away. And he's not listening. His desire to get him out finds an expression in him moving away. And he just goes down and down and down. And he goes so far down that he is swallowed by the fish. To move away from the God of life is to head towards death. The movement of Jonah is one of life to death to life again. I'm not saying that God lives above us and that a downward movement is a downward movement into hell. The movement is a tangible physical expression of the supernatural reality of the way we relate to God. Jonah's movement is a figurative expression of his relationship to God. Jonah, through not obeying, not listening to God, has set a course which leads to death. My car died this week. I thought, it finally gave up the ghost on Friday. And though it had happened on Friday, the guard told me it was about to happen. See, on Monday after staff meeting, I jumped into my car. I turned the ignition nothing happened. I tried it a few more times, the car didn't turn over. Then all of a sudden it did and the car worked fine for a few days. Then on Wednesday it did the same thing. I thought, yep, I'm going to need to look into that. I didn't do anything about it, it was still running. Finally, on Friday I was leaving my home to go to a meeting. Oops. Got the car started and thought, Ah, uh, this is probably not good. Took it to the petrol station, filled it up, couldn't get the car started. Finally, by God's grace, I managed to limp it to the mechanic. Now, the car is fine. But like the car, people ignore the warning signs when it comes to God. We think, oh, it'll be all right, she'll be apples, I can go, it's yeah, I know there's a few problems, but it will keep on going. 
many people in this life, in this world, that's the way they think. Well, I can just go through life ignoring signs, ignoring God, or any idea that God might be displeased with me, but she'll be apples. Many Australians believe. And they just go, it'll be fine. God, uh, God won't mind if I ignore him. They won't say it like that, of course, but that is the way they live. They don't think that is what they are doing, but that is what they are doing. I'll just go through, it'll be sweet, God won't mind if I ignore him. What if there, even if there is a God who cares? And the truth about God is he doesn't really ask that much of us. He really doesn't. But he does want us to pay attention to him, even for our own good. But for most Australians, it's like, whatever. God, if there is such a thing, he doesn't affect me. But should we be like that as Christians? Do we live like that? We're going to come back to that. Let's see how God responds to Jonah's disobedience. He acts. We're looking at the God who acts in judgment to Jonah's disobedience. God hurls a storm at Jonah and the sailors for their disobedience. And make no mistake, the storm is God's judgment against Jonah for his actions. The ship gets into trouble. And we might think, well, what did the sailors do? They're just innocent bystanders. They haven't run away from God's command. But as we'll see, they are not innocent either. Now, the storm is bad. And the sailors, in their ignorance of what is going on, and fear, they grope for answers. The sailors must be thinking, why has this happened to us? And they act frantically to save themselves and their ship but before long they realize the storm is beyond them and they so they start hurling cargo at first and probably a few stomachs but they soon realize none of this is going to save them in desperation they call on their gods silence the storm rages on they are looking for deliverance these are seasoned professionals and the situation is totally out of control. Their useless pleas find their answer in a raging tempest throwing them about. They are blind men in a, living in a blind world. They're full of activity yet pitifully inept against a sea seeking to swallow them. And so they cast lots in a desperate search for answers and the lot falls on Jonah. For some reason, he's responsible for their plight. And so they asked Jonah who he is and what he has done. And Jonah responds. He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea come down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. 
the sailors have their answer. Through God's judgment on Jonah, he reveals himself to the sailors. They've been told the reason for their plight and they've been given a solution. And at first, like Jonah, they choose to disobey. They think they can somehow defeat the creator of the sea through their strength. And so they row back to shore. They fail. Their storm becomes so great that they resign themselves to Jonah's word and throw Jonah overboard. And upon doing so, the sea becomes silent and they now fear the true and living God. And now before we think, oh, these poor innocent sailors, did you notice verse 10? Jonah has revealed to these sailors what he is doing. But in a search for the quick buck, they took him on board anyway. These sailors have ignored God thinking, who is this Yahweh? What is he going to do? Well, they have found out. And it is only when they throw Jonah overboard at Jonah's command that the storm ceases. Which is saying the sailors should have never have brought Jonah on board in the first place. They, ignored, they just didn't care. They just didn't care what Jonah had to say. Sure, another person running away from an impotent God. What does it matter? He's got a quick buck. Give us your money. I must admit, I thought, I wonder if they threw their money in after him, after they threw him into the sea. Guaranteed not. Jonah's sacrifice brings them life. And Jonah's sacrifice does point to Christ. For as Christ's sacrifice brings us deliverance, as Jonah was lifted up and cast into the sea to save the sailors, so Jesus will be lifted up and die on the cross to save his people. And there are clear connections between Christ's sacrifice and Jonah's sacrifice at this point. And I don't want to ignore these. But there are also differences. The main one in terms of this passage is there is no command from God to cast Jonah into the sea. This is Jonah's word and I think this matters and it flows into one of the main themes of this book as a whole. That is, God is a God of mercy in the face of his judgment. God loves his people. But as you look at Jonah throughout this chapter, he has been on a mission. His purpose is not to warn Nineveh of the judgment that is coming. And here, encapsulated in the storm, in the midst of this raging sea, foaming, and God's judgment, are these lost Gentile sailors. Though not completely innocent, certainly they are caught in a battle between God and Jonah that they were completely unaware of, the only time in this chapter where there is any upward motion from when Jonah starts heading down is when the sailors lift him up. It is in listening to Jonah's word that the sailors propitiate, turn away God's anger. And the word propitiate, propitiate just means to turn away. The defining feature of the chapter is that both Jonah and the sailors have tuned out God through either their apathy of their, and their actions. And it is only when they start to turn towards God that life comes. 
that they are saved. And that is what we're supposed to understand. God wants to give mercy to people. That is God's desire. Jonah has tried to restrict God's mercy. But where Jonah goes, God's mercy does follow. And the question we need to ask as Christians is, do we try and restrict God's mercy? Are we guilty of doing a similar or same type of thing as Jonah? As Christians, how should we live in light of this passage? Should we go to Nineveh and preach God's word of judgment against it? A bit late. As we look at this passage, we need to look at the proclivities of our own hearts. We are not Jonah and we are not the sailors. Both are extremes, as in the sailors, they're hiding in their activity. As in Jonah, he is hiding in his apathy. What is made clear in this passage is God will not be ignored. Eventually, all must deal with God, whether we want to or not. Everyone must deal with God. And I think that is the strangest thing about our culture. It thinks that it can just go through life ignoring God. And as the events in the world and our nation have made clear, God will not be ignored. And so we have to look at our own hearts, our own desires. We do sometimes want to block out God. This is the same the world over, whether Christian or non-Christian alike. We all have the proclivity to ignore God. But the good news about God is he reveals, which is revealed to us through the sailors, is that Yahweh is a God of mercy. And as I considered Jonah's command to the sailors, though I believe Jonah knew his sacrifice would save the sailors, I, feel, I still think it is an act of defiance against God. Yahweh has commanded him, go to Nineveh and preach mercy. Yet in disobedience, he's decided that the Ninevites didn't deserve that word. And even as he's cast into the sea, he's probably thinking, ah, see, they will not receive that message. But here's the real truth about Jonah. In deciding that they didn't need that word, he has thought he didn't either. But what God demonstrates through the sailor's sacrificing of Jonah is he will give mercy to people whenever they respond to him. Though Jonah is being defiant, though Jonah is still thinking, I have won, the Ninevites are not going to get the message, he's going to learn that God is determined to reveal his mercy, mercy to both Jew and Gentile alike. It is only when Jonah goes down into the sea that he realises he does need the God of mercy. But that is for next week as we look at chapter 2. How should we as Christians respond to this passage? Certainly there is a theme of ignoring God in the passage. And we need to think how ways we block out God, whether we do it through apathy or activity, we all have that proclivity to block God out. And we need to check it and change it. But I don't think that is the main theme of this chapter. The main theme is God is determined to be merciful and mercy can only be understood in the context of judgment. 
And Christians can forget that. God's mercy only makes sense in the context of his judgment. And that is what we see on the cross. I'm going to read from Romans uh, chapter 1. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and righteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. We live in a world under the judgment of God. And we have certainly seen much of that over the last few years through pandemics, floods, war. And these things, they're always going to be with us whilst living in this world. And it is not wrong to pray for relief from these. But we must recognise sin is real and God will judge it. But the good news is that God desires to give mercy. And much like we saw God give mercy to the sailors when they cried out for help, they received salvation. So as Christians who have received the great salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross, we are called to be willing to take and share that mercy and that great news of mercy to others. Jonah thought by running away from God, he could take the word of God's mercy, take the word of of God's judgment and the need to repent and turn away from the wickedness that we have committed and hide it from the world. But the good news is that God will work to share and tell people of his good news. We are the people who have heard that good news. We are the people who've responded to God's grace working in our lives. And the question that this passage puts before us, are we trying to ignore God? Are we trying to push him out? Or are we so active, we got so much activity in our lives that we're ignoring this grace and this mercy and not willing to share it with others? Mercy is the wonderful character of God. God wants it to go out to all the world and we have been given it, we are vessels for it and God is calling on us to take it out. Are we willing to do so? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God of mercy and kindness. We are thankful for what you have done for us in Christ. We pray, Father, that we will be willing to share that mercy with other people, that they might know your great goodness to us. Help us, Father, to have hearts that are willing. Help us to not be apathetic or to be so busy in life that we ignore the task that you have set before us, that all people might know who you are through the death of your Son and the grace you have given us in him. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.